What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, let's go ahead and, uh, and pray, all right? So, Father, we, uh, we just come humbly before you, God, as we open up your word. God, we pray that your word would take its rightful place in our lives. Father, your word is holy, your word is true, and may we all come under your holy word and order our lives around your word. Not what we want, not what we think, not what we feel, but Jesus, as you are the truth and your word is the truth that you proclaimed, may we come into the truth and walk into the truth. God, I thank you for this book that we're starting now. God, and I pray for our our congregation that we would dive into this book to glean all that you have. And I pray for revelation to happen. I pray for love to happen. I pray for decisions to happen. That as we read your word, we wouldn't be like that person that looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like. That your word would do its work. And so, Father, we just uh, humble ourselves before you. We we bow down before you, our great king. And we say, come and have your way, Jesus. Come and have your way, Jesus. We invite your presence, God, to do what only you can do. Because apart from you, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. So we need you, God. We need you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be starting a series on the book of Ruth. And so the book of Ruth is four chapters, and uh, we usually tell you in advance so that you can kind of read ahead. We challenge you as well to try to journal through the book ahead of schedule. Uh, today, we're just going to do two verses today out of the book of Ruth. And so those of you who have accomplishment and performance issues. They will continue to grow today. I pray against your frustration, but this is an amazing book, and I, and I pray that you just kind of dive into it. Um, basically, the, the book is this, is that there's this family. They leave Bethlehem. They go to Moab, Moab where the enemies of God were, uh, the father dies, the two sons die, and it leaves three widows. Two of the widows come back, and as they come back, poor, impoverished, one of the widows was a Moabite, so she was discriminated against. She was hated on because of where she was from, but there's a guy that steps up. His name is Boaz, and he redeems her. He brings her in to his home, and he marries her. And she finds rest under his house. And so this is an important story because this story points us to the greater story, which is Jesus. Jesus. So I have you in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Let's look at uh, verse 1, please. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And I want you to highlight Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Tamar, who was Tamar? Tamar was actually a relative of Judah. And Judah was supposed to provide for Tamar a kinsman redeemer so that her line would be perpetuated. The line would be perpetuated. Judah didn't do that, so Tamar posted up on the corner as a prostitute. She slept with Judah, her father-in-law. And let me read that again. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, came from incest, came from Tamar, faking like a prostitute. This is in the line of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus. Go down to verse 5, please. It says, and salmon, who wants some salmon for, for lunch today? Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. I want you to highlight Rahab. Rahab, if you remember in the book of Joshua, she too was a prostitute. And she lived in the walls of Jericho. The two spies came in. She hid the spies and she said, oh, I've heard about your God. Will you save me when you come and take this land? She was saved. And this ex-prostitute, who was not an Israelite, but was from Jericho, she became the father of Boaz. And Boaz is in this story in the book of Ruth. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of what? King David. King David. So wow, this is a serious lineage right here. Now, those of you who know the Bible know that God prophesied to King David that from him there would be a king that would be on the throne forever. And we know that king to be Jesus, Yeshua, that had to come through the line of David, born in Bethlehem. Let's go down to verse 6. It says, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Who was the wife of Uriah? That was Bathsheba. Well, what happened there? Notice how the Bible is keeping it 100 with what David did. The Bible doesn't cover things up, by the way. It's a provocative book that shares successes and failures. And David lusted after the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, brought her into the house. She became pregnant out of wedlock. David found out. Then he killed Uriah and murdered him and covered it up. But here's God's grace in all of that. The baby died, but there was another baby born named Solomon. Through adultery, through murder, 
This is why, hey, man, I'm just trying to get my life right before I can come to church. Bro, that ain't ever going to happen. God is the one who takes those that just acknowledge, hey, I'm messed up, I'm jacked up. Jesus, I can't do this apart from you. Please change me. And he doesn't despise anybody with a broken heart. That's what it says in, in Psalm 34. A broken heart I will not despise. I want you to go down to Matthew 1, 16 and 17. So it's, it's continuing through the lineage, and, and this is important for today as we get into the book of Ruth, because this is, this is what God was doing. Uh, verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from Abraham, David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is a story of God's grace. This book of Ruth has supreme importance, but understand in the midst of that going on, the four chapters of Ruth, God was working out his plan. You're here today, and many of you are dealing with death or disappointment or tragedy or sickness. Whatever is going on in your life, do you really, really, really believe Romans 8, 28, which says this, God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Do you really believe that today? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Is this a truth in your life that you live by when things don't go your way? Do you trust that through the disappointment, through the failure, through the trial, God is working things out? In this book of Ruth, as we dive in it and we start today, and we're going to be in this book the next eight weeks, or maybe more if I, can't, if I keep doing like two verses a week. I'm just kidding. God wants to speak to you. He is the sovereign God who has everything in order. He is the God also of redemption. He wants to redeem your past, what's broken, what's wrong, and he wants to come and make everything new. And it doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about your failures. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter because it's what he says about you that matters. And this book of Ruth is all about that. Now, let's go ahead to the book of Ruth, please. The book of Ruth, it's in the Old Testament. This was during the time of the judges in the nation of Israel, and uh, this is a 400-year period approximately when Joshua was told by God to take the promised land. In Joshua chapter 1, God 
uh, comes to Joshua in verse 3, and he says, Hey, Joshua, everywhere your foot treads, I've given you possession of that land. It is the inheritance that I've given my people, Israel, and you're going to cause this people, when you cross the Jordan, to go over and inherit the land. But when you're there, Joshua, there's a couple things that I want you to do. And he starts in verse 7 by saying, When you cross over, listen, this book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth. You'll meditate on it day and night. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. And if you do that, Joshua, you'll have good success wherever you go. And then he says, be bold, be strong, banish fear and doubt, for the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. But the principle that God laid out in Joshua 1, verse 7, was Joshua Keep my word at the center of your movement. Keep my word in the center of your heart. Meditate on it day and night. Don't slip and slide. Don't compromise. Don't look this way. Don't look that way. Whatever that word says, hey, I want to come up under that. And if I do that, I will have success wherever I go. That's what God promised. Did that happen? Well, we're going to see that here. Verse 1, the book of Ruth. Ruth. It says, in the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. I want you to highlight judges ruled, and I want you to highlight famine because we're going to come back to that. And a man of Bethlehem, highlight that please, in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And so I want you to highlight Moab. So in verse 1, there's four things we're going to break down today. Judges ruled, the famine, Bethlehem, and Moab. We're going to talk about these things because if we don't understand the biblical history, we're not going to understand the book. And so it's very, very important to understand the historical context so that we can see the amazing sovereignty of God, so we can see the beauty of his redemption and his love that is constant despite what's going on. I would like you to uh, look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 now. We're still in uh, Ruth 1. Verse 2. Let me find it, all right? I keep saying verse 2 because I haven't found it. Here we go. It says, the name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech. Now, I want you to write above Elimelech. This is what his name means. God is my king. God is my king. Now, listen, there's a lot of people that are Christian in name only. Hello. I'm reminded in the book of Nehemiah, there was a guy there, I can't remember his name, but his name meant Jehovah is good. Jehovah is good. But this guy was just evil to the core, selling out the people of Israel. Any 516ers remember what that guy's name was? Because we went through it. All right, guys, it's okay. It doesn't matter. This guy, I'm going to call him Big E because Elimelech, 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 Big E, okay? Big E, his name means God is my king. But you're going to see that it was just in name only. He wasn't really the king of his heart. There's a lot of Christians that come to church on Sunday 
I'm a Christian, man. I'm a Christian. Yeah, Jesus is Lord and Savior in my life. But really, 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 when it comes down to it, there's no lordship at all. Because I don't want to do what he wants me to do. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And the sooner we get real with that, the sooner we're going to find grace and help in time of need. So God is my king. That was his name. The name of his wife, verse 2, Ruth chapter 1, was Naomi. And that, by the way, means pleasant. And you can write that, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. The names of his two sons were Mahon, and that means sickly, sickly. Hopefully you're not naming your kid, you know, you don't want a Bible name like that, okay? Sickly. And then Chilion, all right, means wasting. So his two kids were sickly and wasting. And, and, and by the way, my point of, okay, this guy, God was his king in name only, was because, I don't know about you, but that's kind of negative to name your kids. You're naming your kids by the circumstances that are around you instead of, instead of what our God is going to do. There was a famine in the land. And so because of that famine, because I'm in this place of poverty and I don't have this and I don't have that, that experience and that circumstance begins to dictate how I view and see things and I even speak death over my children. By giving them names like that. It says they were... Ephrathites in Bethlehem in Judea at the end of verse 2. They went into the country of Moab, Moab, Moab. Again, highlight that, and they remain there. This gives us insight into Big E's leadership. Even though his name meant God is my king, he left the house of bread. Well, what do you mean house of bread? You know the word Bethlehem, you can put above Bethlehem there in verse 1, house of bread. That's the house of bread. That's what that name means. He left the house of bread, and he went to Moab. Ooh, Moab. And he remained there. He took his family there. He took his family out of the house of bread. I don't think that was God's best, but guess what? God was up to something in that. I don't know if those are the names that he, God wanted for the children, you know, but despite our failures, despite our mistakes, God understands how we call him king, but we can get overwhelmed with circumstances in our own personal life. And you're going to see the grace of God in this book of Ruth, that despite the lack of faith, despite moving away from the house of bread, despite whatever, God is a redeemer. And if you are still breathing, there's hope. There's hope for you. His leadership, by the way led to his wife 
at the end of Ruth chapter 1. She says, do not call me Naomi or pleasant anymore. Call me Mara because God's hand is against me. He's been harsh with me and I'm bitter because of it. His leadership or lack thereof brought his wife from a pleasant place. And by the way, Israel, Israel is the pleasant land to a place where she became bitter, 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 bitter. So let's go through a few things here. Um, Number one, um, the judges ruled, verse one, judges ruled. I I want you to turn to Judges chapter two, please. Judges chapter two. We're going to be going through some Old Testament. We're going to be flipping and flopping back, all right? So uh, Joshua judges Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth, right? First five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so then we get Joshua judges Ruth. So we're going to be in all of that today, going back and forth. So get ready. Again, this is a historical context so that you have a foundation as we look forward to the rest of the view. We understand these terms. We understand the meaning. So when the people of Israel say, hey, that Moabite, what they were saying was, we're discriminating against her. We don't want her. We don't like her kind around here. She ain't one of us. And even when it came to redeem her, somebody rejected her, partly because she was a Moabite. We'll get to that in chapter 4. So, judges, judges, judges. When Joshua dismissed the people... Judges chapter 2, verse 6. The people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of a land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance. Verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And listen, parents and disciple makers, I want you to highlight this in verse 10. It's very, very important. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. I want you to understand the reason why that happened is because of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The parents were supposed to teach the next generation about God. Joshua was supposed to raise up a generation that was focused on the word of God, that didn't look to the left, that didn't look to the right, so that there would be success and prospering wherever they went. That is God's heart. That is his desire. But these leaders in this generation dropped the ball so that a generation that rose up, they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know him. They didn't know him, his presence, intimacy. 
or the work that he'd done for Israel. I want you to flip over to Judges 17, Judges 17, so that you can see the perspective of God looking on this people during this season of the Judges. And by the way, the age of the Judges was a 400-year cycle where there would be a victory, and after the victory, people, they had rest, and they relaxed, and they relaxed on God's commandments, and they turned away from God. Then God brings judgment, calamity, famine, and then the people cry out, they repent. God saves and rescues them and restores them through a deliverer like a Gideon, okay, or like a Samson, And uh, this goes on and on and on and on and on. It's the story of the nation of Israel. It's the story of people. After we say, Mama, I made it, we forget about God. By the way, I can relate to that. There's seasons in my life when I was at the bottom and I had nothing except for God. And then a little success came, and I thought it had to do with me. And then God had to humble me back down. And I repent, and I return to him, forgive me, Lord. And then I got a little success, and then I would start to compromise or go after other lovers. And the humbling back down so that I turn and I repent and I call upon God. Oh God, please save me from myself. Please save, I am so prone. I'm like a sheep, I go astray, each one to our own way. I need you, Jesus, be my shepherd because I can't shepherd myself. In that process, we don't wanna be too hard on Israel because guess what, that's our story too, isn't it? It's our story too. And God's grace, God's grace, even though... Judges 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The simplicity of God, is this the kind of music that I need to be listening to and memorizing? Some of us don't even ask that. And we wonder why, because Proverbs says, if you hang out with an angry man, you'll become like him. And all I hear is anger in my music, and I wonder why I'm angry, and I'm quick to snap on somebody. So a man thinketh, so is he. When I listen to music that is all about sex and women and whatever, why am I thinking like that? So a man thinketh, so is he. So... Set your mind on, okay, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What do you want? Right? So we just do things that seem right because everybody's doing it. Uh, A few weeks ago, I'm at the basketball uh, park with my daughter, and there was a young man out there, and this music that I, by the way, I used to bump in my car back in the, way back in the day, okay? So... My, I'm, I'm shooting baskets with her, and I'm, I'm catching her shots, and, and, and this music's just like talking about stuff. And finally, I kind of I had enough. I said, hey, bro, listen, 
I said, I'm not trying to judge you at all, you know, but this this my daughter here, man, you know, and I don't feel like she needs to, I mean, I can't repeat what was being said. And this guy was so respectful. Oh, man, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. And then he says to me, and you know, this stuff really isn't good. And he had a tattoo of a cross, and, and I was... And this is why you need to pray for me, right? Because for me, my tendency sometimes, anyway, God gave me the grace, and I said, hey, bro, I see the cross on your chest, but is that cross really what's inside of your chest? He received that. He received that. Usually people get offended by me, so it was God's grace that was on me. But I'm coming at my man and, and again, this is what he says to me. He's like, I, you know, this is what all my friends my age, they listen to. This is all we have. This is all we have. And I said, hey, bro, do me a favor. Put on Kanye for me, at least till I leave, okay? And, and he did that. He did that. He, he submitted. Anyway, so the new Kanye, not the old Kanye. <laughs> Just want to clarify But see, we, we, we just do what seems right. It seems right because it's what the world is doing. Hey, is that who we are? No, we've got to invite God in. Hey, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What does your word say? And I want to look at your word and I want to do what it says. I don't want to do what seems right to me. You always do what you've always done. You always get what you always got. It's bad English, but I pray you remember it. That's what my coach used to say to me in basketball. He said, practice don't make perfect. If you're practicing wrong, uh, four plus four is never going to be 16. You can practice that all you want, but it will always be eight. And if you shoot with your elbow out, you're never going to be a good shooter. So tuck that chicken wing in. Pop the quarter, follow through. Anyway, I don't want to get into basketball. Just look at Curry. Do what he does. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Because if you're not doing it right. So a lot of times we're so influenced by our culture that we don't even filter things through the word of God. And again, Judges 17.6, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I want you to flip over to Judges 21.25. This is the last verse in the book of Judges. God says it again, not because he's redundant, because he wants us to get it because he knows we're thick. Judges 21.25. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel, And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is the 400-year cycle of the judges. That is what's going on. Conquest in the land for Joshua. But then a 400-year cycle of people doing what seems right in their own eyes and suffering the consequences that go with that. And that is why we've got to be learning from this. We've got to be learning from this. Joshua's generation didn't pour into the next generation, and people ended up doing what was right in their own eyes, and they suffered because of it. They suffered because of it. 
So I'm going to give you some application points. The first thing that we see from Judges uh, chapter 2, verse 10, is that people did not know the work God had done. One of the things that I have, and Will, if you could put up that picture for me, or Jenny, um, is I have this in my house. It's a rock jar. So when God does something, whether it is showing up financially, whether it is healing somebody physically, whether it is uh, God's sovereign hand just moving, and we know it was God doing what he does in our lives, that's the work God has done. And I point my children to that because I want to remind them what our God does. I want them to see what God does. And by the way, that comes from Joshua chapter 4, when the Israelites cross the Jordan, God said, set up 12 stones so that the children will be reminded the day that I brought you across this. So parents and also disciple makers, are we pointing to the work to the coming generation after us? Look at what God has done. Are we testifying of what God has done? Is there stories of how God showed up in your life so that he's my shepherd? I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I live without lack. My rock jar's full. My bank account might not be full. There may be famine, but let me point to what God has done in my life. And I want to point my kids to that. The second thing that we see from from Judges 2.10, it says they did not know the Lord. They did not know the Lord. So parents, disciple makers, are you cultivating are you cultivating situations and environments where your children can know and encounter the Lord? As a parent, I can teach my kids and, and, and tell them things and even point to things of what God has done, but unless they encounter Christ themselves, it's just another story. And so I pray constantly. In fact, let's just do that now. Father, in the name of Jesus, every household, every child growing up, that God, you would visit our children, that you would visit our people, that you would visit our disciples, God, that people would encounter you, God, that they would be overwhelmed and overcome with your presence, that they would say like Jacob, surely God is in this place. We pray, God, for encounters. We pray, God, for you to move in power. We pray, God, for you to overwhelm those in our lives so they fully surrender their hearts to you. In Jesus' name, may they know you, Lord. May they know you, Lord. From the least to the greatest, may they know you. In Jesus' name. This is what we're to cry out for, guys. This is what we are supposed to be about. The times of the judges shows us that the ball was dropped. The ball was dropped. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed by Hitler, said this. He said, a righteous man lives for the next generation. 
Guys, I don't live for myself. I live for the generations that are going to come after me that I want to pour into so that they take the land and they experience the inheritance that God has for them so that, that my ceiling, if you will, will be their floor. It's not about me, it's about them. And we need to focus on raising up a generation that know their God and know what he has done, but also know him intimately. And I don't know why you're here, but listen, that's what we're here for. We want to be about that life. This book, by the way, doesn't have a prophetic word. There's no angel that shows up. There's no quote-unquote word from the Lord in this book of Ruth. There's no special revelation. But what we do see in this book of Ruth is Boaz obeying the Levitical laws and taking care of the widow. And because of that, because of his obedience, he's rewarded with a wife, a wife that would produce the offspring of King David and Jesus. He obeyed the word of God. So here's a question for you, bow down. Will you obey the word, the written word, when there is no rhema word. Many in the church are looking for that rhema word. And there's nothing wrong with that. We believe God still speaks today. But so many times we're, we're going after that word when we've forsaken the written word. What if there's no word? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you doing what is written? And the beautiful thing about this entire book of Ruth is that those who obeyed the word of God experienced God and his sovereign hand moving throughout. The second word that I want to focus on today is the word famine in verse 1. You see Ruth 1, the word famine. Now, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel 21, please. 2 Samuel 21. Now, listen, I know about famine because I'm a Dolphins fan. And I'm riding and dying with that squad. You know, I had somebody, Chris, you still put room for the Dolphins? Yes, always, forever. I don't switch. I'm not like this guy who's from Florida but likes the Cowboys. I'm from Florida, but I like Golden State. Yeah, that like, yeah like Cody, right? So anyway. I was born in the bottom. I stayed with the Canes, with the Dolphins, with the Marlins. Anyway, so we know what it's like for a famine as Dolphins fans. <laughs> but we're streaking, though. We got two in a row. Anyway, here's what I want you to get. God warned Israel that famine, famine in the Old Testament was one of the judgments that would come upon the Israelites when they failed to keep the law of God. So famine would come 
when they disobeyed the law of God. In fact, Leviticus 26.20 says this, and you can just jot that down for your own time. It says, your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. So whenever there was famine in the land, it was a sign to the Israelites of the day that, okay, something might not be right here. The reason why I have you in 2 Samuel 21, verse 1, is that there is a difference between Elimelech, whose name is God is my king, and David. There's two different types of people in here today, by the way. There may be more types, but just, just stay with me. Some of us, some of us, We say God is our king, but then when things get hard, instead of turning to God, we go to Moab. Oh, I'm not getting fed at this church. Well, last time I checked, you're supposed to learn how to feed yourself, right? Crave the pure milk of the word. You should be on meat, and you're still on Milk, ooh, come on, baby. That's why, by the way, that's why we're going through this book of Ruth, because we want you to journal through it so that you can get the word of God in you. Anyway, help me, God. David, though, was not like Elimelech, who went back to Moab. Look at what David did, 2 Samuel 21.1. It says, now there was a famine in the land in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David sought the face of the Lord. Ah, that's the difference. One person leaves because of famine. Another person turns into the face of the Lord. And when he turned into the face of the Lord, the Lord said, there's blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. There was sin in the camp. Saul disobeyed God. And God was holding Israel, the nation, accountable because of the leadership of the past king, Saul. And that was the result of the famine. So what's the application here? Well, which one are you? Are you a David or an Elimelech? When things don't go your way, when God's not doing what you think he ought to do, when you feel like you're doing exactly what God wants, but then the outcomes aren't lining up the way you thought it should be, because you, you, you've created God as an idol, like a genie in the bottle. If I rub him the right way, I'm going to get this outcome. Ah, oh, that church stuff, I tried that. I've run into people. Yeah, man, I don't believe the Bible. You know, the Bible says that um, you can ask whatever you want. And Jesus said he'll give it to you. Well, I asked for this, this, and this, and it didn't happen. Well, this is why being in the church and being discipled is important because who did Jesus give that promise to? Who? Disciples. And what is a disciple? It's a person who denies themselves, takes up the cross, and follows Jesus. 
So a person who doesn't want to deny themselves, doesn't want to take up the cross, and doesn't want to follow, but yet is praying that prayer because they want stuff, it's not for them. That promise is for disciples. Listen, as a person in ministry, I've wanted God to do stuff and show up and show himself strong, not because my heart motive was right, but because I've wanted to be successful. And I'm not the only one in here. Yeah, God, I want you to be glorified, but I want a little bit of glory for myself. And there's that mixture. And I'm not really denying myself. Oh, God, purify me. Purify me. Purify me. And there's people that make judgments against God and they go back to Moab. They leave the house of bread. Which one are you? A David. Do you, do you leave or do you seek the face of God? The next, pass, the next word in Ruth chapter 1 that you see, I had you highlight, is Bethlehem. So again, that means house of bread, house of bread. I want you to turn to Isaiah 31, please. Isaiah 31.1, Isaiah 31.1. And I'm sorry, a lot of flipping, but man, you're learning your Bible, all right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, it's, a, it's one of those prophetic books. Um, Isaiah has some amazing prophecies in it. Isaiah 53 predicts Jesus um, coming, being crucified. So an awesome book. But Isaiah 31.1, here's what it says. It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt, and you could actually put Moab, because not that Egypt and Moab are the same, but it's the same type of movement that we see Elimelech doing, the same type of movement. And God was saying, woe to you, woe to you when you go to Egypt for help, Isaiah 31.1, and rely on horses who trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they're very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. It looked like this leader, the big E of the family, went to Moab, Moab, and didn't look to the Lord. And because of that, there was suffering that went on in his family. Are you the type of person, am I the type of person that turns to other things without going and consulting God? Look at the end of that verse. You do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. You know, God convicted me years ago when I was younger that I would go seek counsel from people before talking and seeking counsel from him. And listen, there's verses that says wisdom's what? In the multitude of what? Counselors, right? So that's good. And there's people that I look at and I trust and I seek counsel from them. But, but understand this, what God convicted me of is he is the wonderful counselor, and we are supposed to go to him before we go to others. And I had to switch up how I did life. Anyway, we see that in Abimelech's life. 
that he went to, he went away from the house of bread. Now, the final thing is Moab, Moab. So Ruth 1, you see in Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2, we see Moab, Moab, Moab. Now, what is the history of Moab? Thanks for asking. I want you to turn to Genesis 19, please. And this is the beauty of the grace of God. This is the amazing grace of God, how he loves, how he redeems, how he rescues. Um, We all know the story uh, about Sodom and Gomorrah and God destroyed the city. Lot's wife, she turned back and she turned into a pillar of salt, right? And then Lot went with his two daughters and they lived in the hill country. And so let's pick it up in Genesis 19. Verse 31, they're living in a cave in the hill country, Lot and his two daughters. And so verse 31, and the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve our offspring from our father. Stop right there. By the way, that would be a perfect example of doing what's right in your own eyes. It seemed good to me. 32, come. Uh, 33, they made their father drink wine at night. The firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve our offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. The younger arose and lay with him. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name what? Moab. So there is the foundation, the history of the Moabites. Incest. Incest. That's the origin of that group of people right there. Sinning against God, doing what seems right. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, please. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And so it's just a a, a few Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want you to understand the, the, the god of, of Moab, the chief deity, was Chemosh. And Chemosh was a god that required child sacrifices. So he, he, you know, they used to give their children up to be sacrificed. So now not only do they come from issue, uh, incest, but also this vile practice. I want you to know as well, in Numbers 25, it says that the Moabite women seduced the Israelite men into sexual immorality, and 24,000 people died because of that. So we have an immoral group of people as well that were into seducing God's holy treasure possession. Deuteronomy 7, it says, 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and he clears away many nations before you, and he lists all these nations. Verse 2, the Lord gives them over to you, and you defeat them. You must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me and serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. Thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash into pieces their pillars, chop down their ashram, burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so God was giving very clear instructions. Stay away from this group of people because they're going to bring defilement into the camp, the Israelite nation. Last place, and I promise, let's go to Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23. Why are we going through all this? Because, again, we've got to understand some of these things that have to do with the rest of this book because you're going to see racism. You're going to see discrimination. You are going to see um, uh, people um, really really kind of not, 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 not wanting to deal with this Moabite, but you're also going to see someone who obeyed the law and stood up for those that were oppressed that became a safe place, that guarded and protected, that gave out of what they had because they obeyed the law of God. You're going to see the difference. Deuteronomy 23.3, it says, No Ammonite or Moabite, so again, Moabite, may enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter an assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. So, wow, think about this now. Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite. Incest, adultery, killing babies, sacrificing them to pagan gods. Curse, they brought curses. They tried to hire somebody to curse Israel. Like, these people have a 400-year history of hating on Israel. Hating on them. So here comes Ruth in this book, this Moabite, with all of that baggage with all of that history. This is why, by the way, we don't judge people by the color of their skin, by, by the content of their character, because when you look on the outside, you can be deceived because you have no idea what's going on on the inside. When she came into the camp, she was already an Israelite in the heart because she renounced her God. Chapter 1, verse 16 she renounced her people, 
And she was not going back to that because she found the pleasantry of Naomi and she just wanted to be with her God and with her people. But the people of Israel were judging her from the outside. That is why I continue to preach 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. We want to be godly people where we look at one another and we want to know your heart. We want to know your heart. And this is the beautiful thing about this book that I believe God's going to reconcile. God's going to bring healing. God's going to bring encouragement because it doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is what happened on that cross. And if incest is in your family line, murder, adultery, right, Uh, prostitution, all of that stuff was in Jesus's family line, by the way. This is who our God is. He is our redeemer. And Boaz is the type of kinsman redeemer, and he redeems us from our past, from our our generations that went before us. And he says, I am the one that's making all things new. And the old has gone. The new has come. And everything that I've ever done, ever done from five years ago to five minutes ago, it's on that cross. And let's go ahead and end with this. Turn to Colossians chapter two. I love this passage because there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, they would do the day of atonement and the sins were covered for a year. In the New Testament, our sins aren't just covered, but they're taken away. It's a big difference. It's a big difference with the new covenant. All right, Colossians chapter 2. Let me get there. Telling you guys to do something. I ain't ain't doing. That's hypocritical, man. All right, so Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to close with this. Verse 13. Ah, this is such good news. This is the gospel right here. You are dead because of your sins. Because of your sins, because of my sins, I was dead. Because of my sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sins, all of them. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross 2,000 years ago, you become born again. You become forgiven of all of your sins. When you put your faith in him, in him, everything gets taken away. And look at the next verse. He canceled the record of charges against us. Listen, I've been to jail twice in my life, okay? Not prison, I'm not that hard, but just jail, right? Palm Beach County. So every charge that's on me, it's no longer on me. All those charges are here on the cross. They are nailed to the cross. Everything that stood against me, everything that I needed to be judged for, everything that I could be condemned for, for sure, They're on that cross. He canceled the charges. They're gone. He took it away. They're taken away by nailing it to the cross. 
He nailed it to the cross. We glory in the cross as Christians. When somebody reminds me of what I did last week or last month, hey, thanks for reminding me. But guess what you're reminding me of? Not my sins, but the cross. All my shame is there. It's not on me anymore. And listen how it finishes here. In this way, he, Christ Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Christians, we don't walk with shame. All my shame, it's there. And the only one that should be carrying shame is the enemy because he was made a spectacle because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we glory in that. We celebrate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because he is the one that makes all things new. He takes the Moabites like you and me and he nails that stuff to the cross. And he says, you're forgiven. You get to go free. Every single charge, I'm putting it on myself on the cross. And you get to go free. That's why in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Because of the cross, because everything was taken off of me, the sin eater, he took it. I now get his righteousness, and I am righteous. I am holy. I am set apart, not because of what I do, but because of what the cross did, and we glory in that. It's not our works that we boast in, but it's the work of the cross, the finished work of the cross. That's what we glory in. And this is who our God is, guys. Do you see how jacked up these family lineages are in Jesus' life? But he died for all of that. He died to take it away. And so we are going to get to know, going through this book of Ruth, our great kinsman redeemer. And I pray that you are drawn into his heart, that you are transformed by how great and loving our God is. Let me go ahead and pray. Worship team, come on up. And prayer partners, come on up. Oh, God, we glory in the cross today. We glory in the cross today. We glory in the fact that you are our kinsman redeemer. You are the one that can bring us out of the famine. You are the one, God, that we want to turn to when things get tough. We trust you, God, because... Your cross, it speaks that you can be trusted, that you are good, that you died for us while we were sinners. And so we just worship you today, Jesus. We praise you today, Jesus. We pray as we close with worship and song that your heart would be touched by our singing as we rejoice in what you have done And I pray, Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, that you would just remind us this week of how much you love us. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here that just doesn't know you, maybe they're walking with shame, guilt, condemnation, whatever it is, God, I pray you would draw them forward to receive forgiveness as you, you want to take away their sins. We need you, God. We thank you, Father. 
We bless you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.